passing by his son's bedroom, was astonished to see the bed was nicely made. And everything was picked up. Then he saw an envelope propped up prominently on the pillow. It was addressed dead. With the worst premonition, he opened the envelope and read the letter with trembling hands. This is what the letter said. Dear Dad, it is with great regret and sorrow that I'm writing to you. I had to elope with my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with mum and you. I've been finding real passion with Stacy, and she is so nice. But I knew you would not approve of her because of her piercings, tattoos, and tight motorcycle clothes. And because she is much older than I am. But it's not only the passion, Dad. She's pregnant. Stacy said that we, we will be very happy. She owns a trailer in the woods and has a stack of firewood for the whole winter. We share a dream of having many more children. Don't worry, Dad. I'm 15. I know how to take care of myself. Someday I'm sure we'll be back to visit so you can get to know your many grandchildren. Love, your son, Joshua. P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I'm over at Jason's house. I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than the school report that's on the kitchen table. (laughs) Cool when it's safe for me to come home. Love it. Teenagers, you don't need to be taking notes at that point, okay? That's just a little story. So, we're beginning to get a little bit in the Christmas mood, are we not? And this is where in this country we need something called Thanksgiving, because in America you have the holiday season. And it starts on the last Thursday of, of November, and you have just like four weeks where you have the holiday season. In England, the holiday season is summer and autumn, because Christmas just starts so early. But we're starting to get a little bit in the Christmas spirit, are we, in the... Ready for Christmas? So I thought what would be good over the next few weeks is to look at some of the Gospels and look at some of the passages at the beginning of the Gospels. And we're calling this series Back to the Future. How many people enjoyed that movie? Yeah. How many people have no idea what that movie is? You're like, you know, you're not 40 like I. That was my favorite movie when I was a kid. Um, so the thought, the simple thought is this. If we want to understand our future, we need to go back. We need to go back to a point in history when a man called Jesus, who was God, he wasn't a God, he was God, he made everything, he came and put on flesh. He became a man. And this whole thing of Jesus being both Man and God is not something I can really understand this morning. It's not something that I can give you a nice, pithy sermon about how Jesus was fully God and fully man. And you know what? I'm very happy about that. Because if I could really explain to you in a simple way how Jesus was fully God and fully man, I think he would cease to be God. You know, there are, there are many, many things that we don't understand. Rocket science, astronomy, our wives, you know, lots of things that are very, very
very mysterious in life. And I'm, I'm comforted by the fact that God is bigger than my understanding. I think if God could squeeze into my brain, then at that moment he would cease to be God. So I'm very comfortable with the fact that there are many things about God that I don't understand. And one of them is how he could be fully God and fully man. But if we want to understand our future, if we want to understand where we're going in life, we have to go back to this moment in history where God, the creator of the universe, he put on flesh. He became a man and he camped out. He camped out. Camp is not very comfortable, is it? Well, it is for some people. I mean, some people just go crazy, don't they? When they go camping. I mean, I've seen, I've seen more gadgets in, in a tent than I've seen in my home on some campsites. But generally, camping's not supposed to be that comfortable. And I'm sure it was not comfortable for God to put on flesh and to camp out among us. But if I'm going to understand my future, I need to go back to that point in history. And I need to listen very carefully to what Jesus said. I need to watch very carefully the things that he did. And we're starting out here in John chapter 1. And John makes this incredible, boggling, mysterious statement that Jesus was full of grace and he was full of truth. How many people like grace? We like grace, don't we? Grace is really cool. Grace is, I believe in you. You're forgiven. Don't worry about it. How many people like truth? Mm. Truth is a little bit more harsh, isn't it? Truth is about accountability. Truth is, come on, pull your socks up. Truth is, hey, what you're doing is not right. I was thinking about this the other day. Truth is a little bit, can be a little bit like vinegar, having a, having a cup full of vinegar. Can you imagine just drinking a, a cup of vinegar? Truth kind of brings this. Grace is more like prunes. It just brings looseness. <laughs> Let's not talk about that too much, okay? That's maybe not the best analogy. Now, the reality is that the Gospels don't really talk too much, if at all, about being a Christian. The phrase that is used in the Gospel and the phrase that Jesus use, uses is, is a disciple, that we are called to be following him and to be his disciple. And you may be thinking, well, you know, Jesus, what is a disciple? Well, Jesus said this very simple thing. He said, you, you will know, people will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. So when God, I'm purple on that side. I don't, it looks like I've not been in the sun or something. I'm white on that side. Anyway, um, when God became flesh, he loved people. That's what he did. That's his business. That's his corner, that's his angle, that he loves and he loves and he loves. And here in John 1, we see that the way that Jesus loves, the way that God loves, is full 
of grace and full of truth. Now, you would think that these two things would kind of work against each other. And in some ways, when you read the Gospels, there's some massive tensions. Sometimes we don't like tension, do we? We like to resolve things. But the reality is that there can be massive, massive tensions between this thing of living full of grace and full of truth. Jesus wasn't a balance between grace and truth. He was full of grace. He was full of truth. Jesus didn't live truth on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and then live grace on Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday, and then Sabbath was a day off. You know, he wasn't half and half between the two. He was full of grace and full of truth. He absolutely embodied these two things. If you're anything like me, when I'm thinking about other people, I think more about truth. I think about maybe, oh, I'm not sure you should be doing that. Uh, that doesn't seem quite right to me. No, I'm not sure if I approve. But what do we think about when we think of ourselves? Oh, yeah, grace. No, I need forgiveness. No, it's okay. I was saying to our staff a few months ago that sometimes when we, when we do things that we know to be wrong, it's very easy to make excuses for ourselves. But the moment somebody else does something wrong, we, you know, we point the finger. It's all about truth. But Jesus was full of grace and he was full of truth. And this morning I just want to share a few things that happened in the life of Jesus that really just demonstrate this thing of him being both truth and grace. There was a time where Jesus, his disciples had gone off to find something to eat. And Jesus found himself by a well. And it was at a time of day that people didn't come to the well because it was very hot. And there was a lady, a Samaritan woman, who came and saw Jesus. Now, Jesus and Samaritans didn't really mix. That was, that was maybe the truth of the day. That no, that, that's not right, Jesus, that you're hanging out. It's not appropriate, Jesus, really, that you're, you know, you as a single man, you're hanging out with that woman. You know, it doesn't look good, Jesus. If you looked at that situation, you, you know, some of that harsh truth could bear down. And Jesus begins to talk to this woman. And he has a conversation about water because water is fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Jesus can make anything interesting. Do you know that, you know? He just begins to have this amazing conversation about water. Now it turns out that this lady, she's not married, and she's had five husbands. Now this lady is meeting with God in the flesh. And the truth element would kind of think, hang on, you know, that, that, that's just totally out of order. I mean, there were, there were people in Jesus' time who they were, they were all about truth and would have said, Jesus, what are you even doing hanging around with a woman of such poor reputation? And Jesus talks to this lady 
And at a point in the conversation, he's a bit, he's a bit sneaky, Jesus, actually, if I'm being honest. Because Jesus knows the truth in this lady's life. And he says to her, why don't you go home and get your husband? Sneaky. It's a little bit sneaky because he knew that she had no husband. And she said, well, Jesus, um, let me just be real and vulnerable right now. I mean, you've, you've taken this time to talk to me. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed that you would, you know, chill out with me here at the well. Let me just tell you, I, I haven't got a husband. And Jesus said, yeah, you're right. What do you mean? <laughs> I'm right. Of course I'm right. I know I have got a husband. Well, you're right. And actually, you've had five husbands. Now, at this point, I'm thinking, whoa, whoa, Jesus. Hang on a minute. Whoa, you just met this lady. I mean, Jesus, come on. You're going to the most shameful, the most pitiful part of her life. And, and you're bringing it up. Well, what's going on here, Jesus? Well, this was the truth. The truth was that this lady was incredibly broken. And at no point did Jesus say to this lady, oh, it's fine, it's absolutely okay that you've had 16 husbands. Do not worry about it. I mean, I'm just full of grace. You know, we can forgive you for that. He doesn't wink at her sin. But it's very clear that this issue is the issue in this lady's life. He goes right to the painful and the shameful things within her. Can I ask you a question? Are there some painful and shameful things in your life? Well, yeah, that's me. I know the truth is this morning as I stand before you that there are some massively painful things, massively shameful things in my past. That's the truth. That's the reality. And if Jesus was here today, I don't think he would ignore those things. He wouldn't say, well, Gareth, those things don't matter. The truth is that they do. But here's the amazing thing. To this lady, who's a Samaritan, who has had lots of husbands, who really he shouldn't even be talking with, he tells her something earth-shattering. And this is the first time he has told anybody this. Of all the people to reveal this to, this is what he says. Lady, Susan, Barbara, I don't know what her name is. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that can bring hope. I mean, Jesus, what are you doing? Surely, you know, you should be declaring this in the temple or having a big keynote speech somewhere, very important. But of all the places to reveal that he is the Messiah, it's with this lady, this sinful lady. Because he's full of truth and he's full of grace. And the grace and the truth of God made flesh in Jesus brings a revolution in this woman's life. And she goes back to the village and she begins to tell everyone about the Messiah, the one who has come, who is full of grace and who is full of truth. Zacchaeus. We remember the story, most of us don't we, the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector, he was a chief 
tax collector. Now, we don't particularly like tax collectors in this country, but at least in this country, they are fair. They are generally honest, and we pay the right amount. But back in those days, I mean, it's interesting in the Gospels that you have, I don't know if you notice this, you have the phrase sinners and tax collectors. It's like tax collectors didn't even make the sinners bracket. They have to have a category all of their own because they are so hated. And there was a man called Zacchaeus, and he was a, a chief, a chief tax collector, hated in his community. Had to climb a tree because he was short, and I'm sure people pushed him to the back of the crowd. And Jesus, when he's in his village, of all the people to decide, you know, guys, where are we going to go to lunch today? Is it going to be Nando's, Chiquito's? How many people prefer Nando's? Have we got some Nando's people here? Chiquitos, Frankie and Benny's. What was that place we went to the other day? Chris and Palmy took. Oh, it was very nice. Beautiful place. Truffles, I went there last week. Oh, Truffles, that is awesome. Got to book a table if you want to go on Sunday. Anyway, what am I talking about? I'm talking about, I'm just getting a little bit carried away with food and the thought of food right now. So Jesus, he's thinking about where to go to dinner. And where do you go to dinner? Well, you go to, you go to a person who, who has some prominence in the community. Somebody who has a good reputation. I mean, going to dinner is a very intimate thing when you're going to somebody's house. But Jesus, because he was full of grace, of all the people that he picked to go to dinner to, it was Zacchaeus. I mean, I'm sure his disciples, maybe not Matthew, but the other guys are saying, Jesus, do, do we really have to go to the tax collector's house for dinner? I mean, Jesus, we, we want to get a bit of a reputation here. Well, you know, this is not going to look good. This is not really going to move us forward in loving this community, Jesus. Jesus said, no, he's the man. Grace. Grace. But then... Somewhere in the conversation, the subject of money must come up. Because Zacchaeus, after he's had his garlic bread and his chips and all his stuff, he says, Jesus, I think, I think I've got to do something. Yeah, what is it, Zacchaeus? Jesus, I, I think I've got to give half of my money to the poor. The truth has connected with me. I understand now the truth that it's not right for me to live in riches when there are poor people in my community. So Jesus, I'm going to give away half of what I've got. And do you know what, Jesus? It's not right that I've defrauded people. It's not right that I swindle people out of their, their money. If anybody has, has been wronged by me, I'm going to pay them back four times. I'm going to get a little tax rebate got a big tax rebate. Four times the amount I'm going to give back to them. Because Zacchaeus met not just with the grace, but he met with truth. What about the two guys on the cross, either side of Jesus? So there they are being crucified. And one of the men, he's not feeling very good because he's being crucified, right? And he's saying to Jesus, come on, Jesus, if you're the man, you can rescue us. You can, you can pull yourself down from this cross. 
Come on, Jesus. Come on, show us something special. Come on. What's going on, Jesus? The other man, he says, listen, we're here because we deserve to be. Don't, don't you know, we, we're, we're horrible men. And we deserve to be crucified here. Now, you, you think at this point, Jesus might butt in and say, oh, no, no. No, Brian, Brian, you, you've got a good heart. You've got a good heart. It, it was because of your upbringing. It's because your, your, your dad hit you when you were a kid, you know. That's why you, that's why you did the things that you did. You're a good man with a good heart. You don't deserve this. That's not what Jesus said. Truth. But here's the grace. He said to this man, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Oh, hang on. Hang on, Jesus. Hang on. Are you saying that this man who has lived, I mean, they only crucified the worst people. Wasn't that he was just a petty thief? He was an evil man being crucified. Are you saying, are you saying that he gets to go to heaven, Jesus? Jesus, don't you realize that a few chapters back, you said to a man who was pretty, who was pretty good, he was pretty upright, he came to you and he said, what do I have to do to get into paradise? What do I have to do to have eternal life? And you said to him, you need to go away, you need to sell everything that you've got, and then you can have eternal life. Are you, are you saying that that guy, because he went away and he didn't do what you told him to do, that he doesn't get to go into paradise, but this man, this sinner, this, this horrible, evil, vile man, he gets to go to paradise. I mean, this man can't even rededicate his life, can he? I mean, what life? He's dying on the cross. It's not like he can, you know, for the next three years, he can make up for what he's done. He is a dead, dying man. And grace, grace says to him, I love you. You may be evil. You may deserve to be hanging here. But I love you. And today, I will give you something that you do not deserve, that you can never deserve. I will give you eternal life. We read the story of the lost son. And it's interesting, when you read the story of the lost son in Luke 15, there were two groups of people who were listening to this story. There were the, the sinners and there were the Pharisees. And the sinners, I mean, I find that amazing, that Jesus attracted to him both the hyper-religious the people who were proud, the people who were a bit stuck up, and also those who knew their lives were absolutely broken. Have you noticed that people who were nothing like Jesus, like Jesus? You can write that down if you like. That's that was good. People who were nothing like Jesus, like Jesus. And Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. Yeah? So here he is talking to people who are nothing like him because on one side they're proud and they're arrogant and they're full of themselves. On the other side, they're just, their lives are just you know, twisted and sinful and broken. And Jesus, the master communicator, he tells a story and he has everybody on the same page. He tells a story of a son who goes to his dad and says, Dad, I wish you were dead. 
everybody is like, what? Uh, that, is, that, is, that is horrible. And he talks about this, this son who takes half of his dad's stuff. And he goes off and he wastes his life. And these people are like, they're horrified. The sinners and the stuck up, they're horrified. What, what, Jesus, what are you talking about? This is horrendous. And this boy, he goes off and he squanders all his wealth. And he ends up feeding pigs. And at this point, everybody's going, yeah, he gets what he deserves. I mean, look at him. He's just a rotten boy. And now he's feeding pigs. And to the Jew, that was like the lowest of the low. Yeah, he deserves this. But then there comes a point in the story where he decides to go back to the father. Oh, now he's going to get it. Because they understood that Jesus' stories weren't just stories, but his stories represented something. And they were kind of thinking, well, I think the father, it might represent God. So this son who is evil and twisted, he's going to come back to the father that represents God. And he's going to get it. He's going to get truth. He's going to get judgment. But what does Jesus say? Well, the father, whilst the son was a long way off, he ran to him. We get this picture of a a Jewish father who was a very dignified character. Almost kind of pulled up his little robe, bearing his ankles, which was a, a, you know, wasn't the done thing. And he runs to his son. And he wraps his arms around his son. And he says, son, I love you. I love you. I love you. And the son begins to get out the truth. Father, I'm not fit or worthy to be called a son. But the father doesn't allow the son to get out the the apology. Because he just loves him so much and he knows what's in his heart. Who was the most unhappy character in the story of the prodigal son? That's right, the fatted calf. The fatted calf. It gets killed. And the older brother sees this. The other brother is talking to one of the employees. And he's saying, what is going on? That, that calf, that was supposed to be for my wedding. That was supposed to be for my graduation. We were saving that for a special day. What is happening? Don't you know? Don't you know? Your, your brother is back. And Jesus tells us in Luke 15 that the older brother, he has a little bit of a chat with his dad. And, and do you know what the word is to dis- describe the older brother? What's the word Jesus uses? It's angry. Angry. Have you guys ever met any angry Christians? Have you? Have you ever met any angry Christians? This older brother was angry. Dad, what are you doing? I've been here for years. I've been serving you. I've been helping you. I've been here, Dad. Your, he doesn't even call him my brother. Your son, he went off. And he squandered everything that you gave him. He insulted you by saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. And now you're 
you're throwing a party for him? What are you doing, Dad? And here's what the dad says. He said, son, you missed the point. See, what you're thinking about, you're thinking about performance. You're thinking about all the things that you've done. You're thinking about all the things that your brother has done. And you're kind of rating yourselves. But performance isn't the issue here. The issue is proximity. So your brother was lost. And now he's found. He was far away. And now he's close. And I love him. And I love you. And if you think that you deserve any of the stuff that you're going to get, you don't really deserve it, son. I'm just going to give it to you. Everything you see is yours. I'm not going to kind of divide it up 50-50 again and give, you know, half to your, your brother again. But I love you, son. And I love your brother too. When Jesus became flesh, when the God of creation came into this world and he loved people, he was full of truth. The truth is this morning that I need Jesus. That's the truth. Because the truth is, is that I am a sinful, lost, broken man. But the grace is that God loves me. The truth is that because of my sin, I owe a debt to God. I deserve to be punished. But the grace is, is that Jesus saw that and he came and he paid that debt. He paid that punishment that I could really never pay. And he says to me, Gareth, I see the truth. You can't hide anything from me. But I love you. And I see that actually sin is something that it takes you away from me. And Gareth, I want you to be close. The simple truth this morning is that God loves you. And he also loves every single person that you're going to eyeball this week. It's not that he has grace for you and truth for them. But he's full of grace and he's full of truth. And if Jesus was God made flesh, if Jesus embodies all that God is, then do you know what? Here's the, here's the challenge this morning. The church is Jesus' body. So we need to represent, we need to embody what, what Jesus is. And this needs to be a church that is full of of truth and full of grace. And you know what, guys? That's really messy sometimes. That's not always clear cut. It's not like just we have a little rule book and we can tick boxes and do that kind of thing. No, it's much, much more messy than that. But this whole thing of being a people full of grace and full of truth, sometimes it's mysterious, sometimes it's confusing, sometimes it's a bit tense, and hopefully all the time it's wonderful. So I want to challenge you this morning. God loves you. He has grace for you. He sees the truth, but he loves you. And I challenge us as a church. 
that we're living out those two key things, that we're full of grace and we're full of joy.